text that the kids talked about tonight that is so real and can be so real for us in our lives. And uh, Holy Spirit, take your word, make it come alive to us in ways maybe that we've never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, I shared just about Advent. Advent, um, we've been talking for the last couple weeks, means coming or arrival, or it's this huge heavenly marketing plan, in other words, saying he's coming, he's on his way. And, of course, talking about Jesus, and we referenced two kind of people groups, or, or one, one person in particular last week, where we highlighted Mary. And we also referenced uh, these another group that we're going to get into uh, today. And these were very unlikely people. Very ordinary people, a lot like the people I'm looking at right now, and that you're looking at me. Unlikely, unusual suspects for a heavenly welcoming committee. If God could have chosen anyone, why did he choose these people? I loved what they said. Why did Jesus come as a baby? Well, because if he came, you know, growing up as a king or something like that, we all think that we have to be really important in order for God to accept us. But he came in the simplest human form possible. He went through all the things that you and I have to go through. Growing up, facing all those different challenges, and yet perfect in all of it. But what kind of welcoming committee would you have chosen for the king? Mary is put in this impossible situation, this young girl, 13, 14 years old, and, you know, God literally, um, she's immaculately impregnated, and then she has to explain to everyone her situation. Yeah, this angel came to talk to me, which they've had angels before, you know, some of her culture, you know, they believe that kind of stuff, but then... Yeah, I was, I'm going to have a baby, and it's the one that we have, you know, the prophets, they've been prophesying for a couple thousand years. Yeah, that's him. He's inside of me. God doesn't necessarily go and explain that to everyone. He leaves her in that situation. But what is her response? What is her response? And last week we talked about the God of our impossible. The God of our impossible. Gabriel responds to her and says, with God, nothing is impossible. And, and that's the key, I think, from as far as takeaways from, from last week. The key is, is that with God. God is with us. God is for us. The issue is, are we with God? Because with God, nothing is impossible. He definitely showed that when in Mary. And against unbelievable odds, here her answer is a trusting yes. Okay, God, if you choose to allow these circumstances to hit my life, yes. All right, I, I trust you. Not knowing how she was going to get out of whatever she was now in. And that's so many of our lives. 
see that God has allowed these seemingly impossible situations to touch our lives with no, no escape hatch, no way to see to get out. Moving on to this next group of people, think about some of the best news you've ever gotten. What was it? Maybe for you it was a promotion at work. Um, it was you're engaged. Um, you're going to get married. Uh, whatever it would be, think about those things. How, just in your life, what are some of the, the, the greatest news you've ever heard? Pregnancy, yeah. Pregnant. It's a girl. <laughs> you made the list. Now, I want you to think about who did you want to tell? Who was the person you wanted to tell? It's a girl, right? Who did you want to tell? You wanted to tell Don. You know? And who's the next person after that? Who's, who did you have lined up? Who's that list? You know, when you start rolling out that list, okay, we're going to tell these people, and then we're not going to tell the pastor so that he doesn't tell anybody before everyone else knows. <laughs> Babe, I actually did that. I'll tell the pastor and let everybody else know that you didn't know. Totally slipped out by the last Christian. Shut up. <laughs> Who did you want to tell? So, who received this first public announcement about Jesus' birth? So, right, God tells Mary, but then he's born, and he sends the man, Gabriel, and a bunch of other angels to make a public announcement about the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He has come, and God has his list of people who does he choose? Let's pick up the story. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Let's try and put ourselves in this situation, because we read through it, we hear the story, right, every Christmas, and we just kind of blow right past it but we don't stop to think about what that would actually be like for us to experience that. So this angel appears to them, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, to say the least, I think. They were terribly frightened. I've heard people who have had demonic experiences and angelic experiences, they said, when I hit the demonic experience, I wasn't afraid of it. But when I encountered an angel of God, I was scared out of my mind. I was cleaning shorts afterward. This, I'm that's just what they said. But the angel reassured them. Obviously, they were scared. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. This is key. This is particular something special that Luke, in his gospel, brings. He's saying this is for everybody. This is for everybody, but it's interesting who makes the top of the list. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. This is how you're going to recognize the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You're going to find a, ba a baby lying in the manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. 
As we've said before, these were what you would naturally actually wrap some somebody in grave clothes once they had died. You would wrap a corpse in this. What an amazing foreshadowing that God is giving us here of what Jesus would become and who he would be to mankind. Suddenly the angel is joined by this vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, and they were singing, Glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to all whom God favors. Hmm. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to all whom God favors. We'll unpack that a little bit later. When the angels had returned to heaven, the angels said to one another, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they ran to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. It's interesting here, what city are they going to? What small little town? So it's the be Bethlehem. Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Interesting that the one who would become known as the bread of life would be born in the house of bread. Let's see this wonderful thing. They ran to the village. They find Mary and Joseph. There's this little baby lying in the manger, just like they were told. And then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying, praising God for what the angels had told them. And because they had seen the child, just as the angel had said. So you've got common shepherds that God chooses as the top of his list for his announcement. I think that's magnificent. Why not really important people, heads of state? Why not come to them for his parliament, perhaps? Why in that day and age? It's interesting that culturally, shepherds were outcasts. They were. I mean, their, their work, their occupation, took them outside the city gates. Where and, and their work was made them ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And then their work took them outside the gate so that they couldn't get back in often enough to be ceremonially clean. And yet here, these unclean, dirty ragamuffins are the first ones that God decides to make his announcement to to say, hey, I want you to be the first audience of my son because this is something that he is going to be broken off his bread, the bread of life, for everybody. And I'm coming to some of the lowest of society, the outcasts, the rejects, the throwaways, the unclean. And of course, he wasn't talking about just those who had dirty clothes or anything. These were people just like us who either have been or are unclean on the inside. The only way we get clean is because we receive the blood of Jesus like they were talking about. It doesn't mean that we don't do bad things and we don't you know, continue to talk bad about our you know, brothers and sisters and treat them bad from time to time and all that. But we begin this process of learning how to house and live with this King of Kings, this humble one. Think about, this is the beginning of Jesus' life, his first audience. Let's think about the end of his life. 
Who is he surrounded by at the end of the tunnel? Hanging around the cross, who would God choose for his audience? Two thieves. And it was a thief who would be the very first one that God would choose. He says, you'll be with me in paradise. He was the first one. you to know here, it says in verse 20 of chapter 2, the shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying God and praising God for what the angels had told them. I guarantee you, they'll call me out there before the angels showed up, bickering. This is so lame what we have to put up with. This is so, I mean, it's the same thing day after day after day. But notice that receiving the good news about the Messiah didn't change the shepherds at status. What did it do, though? It changed their perspective of life. To me, that is so incredibly encouraging in terms of, you know, when, when Jesus comes and he changes our perspective, no matter what it is that we're going through, he's saying, you never let go. You know, that's perspective. That's perspective. You never let go, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what impossible situation, you never let go. Jesus is, um, he's not into liberation theology. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. It started something that originated in Latin America with the Roman Catholics. And they were, it was all about God coming and changing our economic and our social and political status as a roadway to salvation. God didn't want people to be poor. And it's not that God wants to keep people poor, but the point is that's not the most important issue. It's actually to have a, a poor perspective, if I can put that in quotes. In Luke chapter 6, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that he says is that in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be poor in spirit. Often people have misinterpreted that, thinking that Jesus was talking about you have to be impoverished economically. But what he's saying is that someone has to be poor, in other words, to humble themselves and to realize that they cannot save themselves. No matter how hard they try, no matter what they do, we can never be a good enough person. Jesus is the only perfect one, and his life was that sacrifice to save us. Now, during this Christmas season, uh, I, I know this, we, we see this all around. You can see it on the faces of people that Christmas and through the holidays, Thanksgiving and whatnot, is probably some of the highest highs of the year and the lowest of lows. It has, carries with it the greatest suicide rate of any other time of year. People that are isolated, people that are lonely, and they're just facing too many impossible situations, seemingly. And it just becomes too much. I love this scripture in Psalm 42. It says, my heart is breaking. I love the realness. You know, just the, the sincerity. I'm not going to hold back. God could have just kind of put a nice sparkle on everything in the Bible. He didn't. And we know that the Psalms is where the blues originated. 
I know it kind of sounds funny, but it really is true. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I, I used to look at the things that he used to do. I'm not doing these things. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks. I used to do all these things. I made the sound of a great celebration. So why am I so discouraged? Why am I so depressed? Why is my heart so sad? And here's the turning point. I will put my hope in God. Exclamation point. You get the impression there's no feeling. There's nothing. It's just a reality of the truth hitting this person. I will praise him again. Why? Because the first time didn't do it. It didn't pull him out of his funk. My Savior and my God, I will praise him again. Psalm 91, this is one of the most important scriptures to our family. I remember one night, Lisa and I were, were in bed, we were asleep, and all of a sudden, there was just this, you know, I know what they say about the demonic presence. I don't know what the presence was that was in the room, but I was scared that I heard this sound, went over, flicked the light on, the light blows, you know, and it was, it was all too real. And the hair, you know, on the back of your some people on the back, on the back of my head, and it was just standing up everywhere. You know, I'm just like you're on full high alert. We after I called my dad, my dad, you know, we lived in Kirkland at the time. My dad drives over, you know, to the house, and we're just, you know, I didn't have a gun at the time, so we couldn't clear the room. We were just praying, you know, we're just going, oh God, help! They're coming to get us! But I pulled out my guitar, I don't know how, two in the morning or something like that. Dad left, and Lisa and I stayed up, and I just started to play this song, you know. And uh, David used to play songs to make demons leave Saul. And uh, I just began to play this song in Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High find rest in the shadow of the this I declare about the Lord. He is my refuge. He's my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust him. For he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every deadly disease. So that leaves me with a lot of questions. See, because from my perspective, that didn't work with my dad. Because I know that God is powerful enough that He could have changed my situation. He could have saved, He could have changed my dad's health status. From terminal to alive and kicking. So Jesus had to do something. He had to change my perspective, my outlook on life. Without necessarily changing my circumstances. For 
he will rescue you from every trap. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. His faithful promises. Once hopeless, now filled with hope and good news. It's, it's not all cheery. It's not at all. It's not all just this, you know, nice word and, and uh, hey, everybody, don't we just feel better now? No, as we've said before, this is about life with grit. This is this is moxie. This is the real stuff. It, it's not just about us feeling good. This is about Jesus being good. He is good. And in the midst of loss and pain and all those things, how can I say those things still? Once joyless, now filled with joy. Joy doesn't necessarily come with a smile. It's an internal reality. It's an internal reality. Happiness comes with a smile. <laughs> Stuff happens, you insert your own word there. Stuff happens, the realities of life. Uh, 
from way back in high school together. My last name's Gustav, David and Ben are here. Uh, David and I went to high school together as well. Um, pretty much brothers from a different mother, but uh, right across the street, and uh, freshman and college roommates, and, and all of us. But anyway, it's good to have you guys here from New York City. Son and daughter-in-law from the father's home. Shout out. Um, but uh, anyway, I, Terry was, you made a statement to me, and he was talking about you, you know, and uh, he, he went over to his house recently and listened with a group of people, and Terry was saying to him, he made a comment, saying, you know what, I've been involved in this church all my life, and, but I, I've never really had, and I'm paraphrasing him here, but I've never really taken an opportunity now to take what God has given me and give that out to other people, and I want to help out in some tangible way. Probably never done that, probably. But the issue is you wanted some tangible way. And she was over at Dean and Susan. She just wanted to reach out. She wanted basically, you're saying, in so many words, I want to take this bucket off, this light grab it here. And I want to make a difference in somebody's life. I love hearing that. Super proud of you. That was really cool. And we all start somewhere. Giving gifts, that's what this season is so much identified by. And you've heard me talk about justice when it comes to this, you know, Christmas season. And leading up to it and how we as just Americans, this isn't representing even just the Western world or anything, but just as Americans, we spend in one year over $455 billion on Christmas. Just Christmas, $455 billion. They say that all the dysentery, that you know, diarrhea in the world is is uh, 25 million people die of just diarrhea every year, every year because of unclean water. I think it's out in New York City. This guy started this thing called Charity Water. He's a bartender or some owned a bar or something. He said, "Hey, for my birthday, he invited you know the local town." Uh, borough to come out um, to, to the bar and say, hey, for my birthday, I just want you to donate to this. And this thing's blown up and he's, they're digging wells, you know, all over the place as people are donating to this. You know, when's the, when's the, the last time you saw a, uh, one of our kids make up a gift list, a giving list? I know all my kids have got their stuff in by like, you know, Halloween. They're like, here's my Christmas list, this is what I want. Justice is, you know, late, checking it twice, handed in, I've got a few edits here, this changed, that changed. How many times have we seen them put together a giving list? Where they take some of their own money, or maybe some money from dad and mom, and they, they put together a, a list of people that they want to bless. Well, that would change some people's worlds, and it would change their lives. What if we took some of our own money and we look for somebody else to give to. I, I like uh, the idea that uh, uh, it was James and Rachel Trigero. They live with the Whites. Some of you have met them already. They're new to this church from California. And they're home for the holidays. And uh, but they, you know, got their kids. Their kids are really little, three and one and a half. And they wrapped up gifts. They went out and got them, and, and they they donated them. They looked for a family that they could bless and give to. Starting their kids young or at any age and looking for those opportunities. So the 
question being, does our version of Christmas reflect God's version of Christmas? Because 9 John 3, 16, that famous scripture, for God so loved the world that Or it is communicating that God so loved the world that he did. Perspective is everything. One of the most valuable things we can give in this Christmas is love and mercy and grace to one another. Let me wrap things up here for tonight. The announcement that the angels gave to the shepherds, don't be afraid, peace to you all from God cares. Sounds a little bit exclusive, doesn't it? You gotta be part of a certain kind of club or what does God favor? He favors all those who have a simple yet profound faith. And faith is described as something that we can't necessarily see, but that we know to be true. A simple trust and obey. It's what Mary was given by God. God favors those with a simple yes in their hearts toward Him of seemingly impossible situations. What's your perspective about God? He would never want me as a son. The things that I've done, too much. Let me just share a story. An Alabama police officer responded to a shoplifting call at a local dollar store this last week. When he encountered a woman shoplifting a carton of eggs, as the officer confronted the woman about the incident, another customer started filming the interaction. However, the handcuffs didn't come out, and there was no physical altercation, quite the opposite. In fact, instead of criminal charges, the officer gave the woman a pardon. He pardoned the carton of eggs that she was trying to steal. The officer that he had, the officer said that he had once responded to a previous call to the woman's home where he witnessed the very tough living conditions of she and her child. Though he admitted it was just a small glimpse into her life, he said that seeing the home was enough to make an impression on him. I, I took note that, that really caught my attention, just what he said. It was enough to make an impression on me. I shouldn't have done, she says now, she responds, I, I shouldn't have done that but my babies need food, the woman said. She tried to give me, the officer said, that she tried to give me all the money she had. It was about a dollar twenty-five. I told her the best way to pay me back was never do something like that again. You know why I, I grabbed this because immediately, obviously, in the context of what I was preparing, it made me think about it. It gave us, I think, a, a powerful picture of what. Jesus has done. It's a bit oversimplified. But what was enough for Jesus to act? 
The officer said it was enough, seeing the situation that she was in, it was enough, it made enough of an impression on me for me to do this for her. What was enough for Jesus? What is enough to make an impression on us through that? What's it going to take? Charity water guy, New York City bartender, or whatever. What did it take for him? I don't even know if he knows Jesus. And you know what? Doing good things for other people to help them in their plight. Like, Christian or not, is a wonderful thing. But we give because he first gave. What has to happen to us to reach out to others in our place of guilt and sin? And this is our state of affairs, and this is what they were talking about. Death, hell, these are realities. Separation from God. But God reached, He unreached, He touched, the untouched. He loved the unloved. That's us. Jesus came for every person tonight. God gave us what we didn't deserve, life in him now and forever. Just like this woman, we don't deserve mercy. The mercy that we receive, we owe a debt we cannot pay. It's like us trying to pay God on 25. You say, we'll just cover the tab. The same way that we try and earn things, we hope it, it's, it, it, this maybe could be good enough. I want to read something that's going to activate you. But now, God has shown us a different way of being right in His sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight. When we trust, that's the word faith, is interchangeable there. When we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all, we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. Whether you're shepherds out in the field that are ceremonially unclean, or whether you're the cross, you're the crook on the cross next to him, whoever you are, no matter what we, who we are or what we've done. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. A lot of times we leave it right there, but he doesn't. Yet God, in his gracious kindness, declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who was gracious... Sorry, he's done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. By cleansing us. It's not that we don't do bad things, it's that we become a different person. By Jesus, that's it. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right. Here it is. We're made right with God when we believe. And when we do this, and when we do that. Not to say any of that. It just says when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us, God was being entirely fair 
and just when he did not punish those who sinned former times. And he's entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right within his sight because they believe in Jesus. Come on. Jesus was and is enough. Him. Jesus was and he is enough. I love it. I love it. I, I'd love to uh, just have you, you stand with me if you would. And I, I just want to finish with a, with a simple song. This is encapsulates the truth that I've been sharing with you. They all go ahead and mute this one.
I love our church. I love you guys who are visiting too, but I, I love our church. And um, really, really grateful for all of you. And I, I really, my heart, my prayer is that you know you would have an amazing, amazing Christmas time with your family and friends. Um, we're not having a Christmas Eve service here this year at North Shore. We invite you to go and and uh, join other you know parts of the family, the body of Christ, and and uh, have a great time joining with them for Christmas Eve. If you'd like to just be with your family. So uh, from our family to yours, Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you guys when we see you next time. All right. Thank you.